Podcast presented by the Institute for Biblical Worship at the Southern Baptist Theological Seminary. That's right, I said the Doxology and Theology Podcast, a podcast for worship leaders who know that the gospel is so good it has to be sung. I'm your host, Matthew Westerholm, Associate Professor of Church Music and Worship at Southern Seminary and the Executive Director of the Institute for Biblical Worship. On today's episode, we are dipping into our worship resources to bring you a clip by Dr. Don Whitney. Dr. Whitney is Professor of Biblical Spirituality at Southern Seminary, where he has served since 2005. Additionally, Dr. Whitney is a best-selling author and beloved figure on Southern's campus. In this clip, taken from the 2002 Julius Brown Gay Lectures here at Southern Seminary, Dr. Whitney discusses the appropriate response of beholding a glorious God. Understand we may have some you know storms coming through here later today. Let's say that we were in class and we looked out and here is an F5 tornado bearing down upon us. And you look out and you focus on that, you will respond. <laughs> Flesh and blood cannot endure it. You cannot look at something that awful, that powerful, and not be moved. I would not have to say to you, now come on, I want you to really mean it when you run away. Put your heart in it now. I don't have to do that, do I? Because you focus on an object that powerful, you cannot help but respond. How much more if you focus on a God more powerful than a million tornadoes? You focus on that object, you will respond. In the same way, you go to the Grand Canyon. And you stand at the edge of the Grand Canyon. You cannot help but be moved. It is too immense. You know, you almost want to step back. It sort of takes your breath away because of the sheer size and immensity of it. It just is impressive and overwhelming. You can stand this close. You can have your back turned to it and not be moved at all. And that's what happens in worship. We can be focusing on the immensity of our God through the revelation given to us, or we can have our minds elsewhere and not be moved at all, though God is working powerfully in the service. Folks, you cannot look and focus for very long on anything as immense as the Grand Canyon and not be moved. By comparison, we're too tiny. We're just too weak. We're just flesh and blood. This is something that is such greatness. You can't help but be moved by it. How much more a God who is as immense as the universe, which is why you focus on an object like this object, more beautiful than any sunset, more powerful than any tornado, more immense than the Grand Canyon, the ocean, or the universe itself. You focus on that object, you will respond. It's reflexive. Something is necessary for this focus to occur. First Timothy says that God is invisible. The Bible says no man has seen God at any time. We're told that there. Other places and in 
uh, where is it? It says, whom no man has seen or can see. And John tells us no man has seen God at any time, but Jesus has explained him. No one has seen him in the fullness of his glory. There have been those appearances to, uh, to Isaiah, to Ezekiel, to the apostle John here in the Revelation. And in these places where the invisible God steps into the visible and in a limited sense of his glory, he reveals himself. And of course, it is absolutely necessary then for the invisible God to reveal himself to us Otherwise, we couldn't see him. Let me use heresy to illustrate the point. Suppose there were a fourth person in the Godhead. How would you know? We would never know, right? We would never know anything about this person because he's not revealed himself. So all that we know about this invisible God has been revealed to us by himself. And so how has he, how has he done that? Well, you've learned from your theology classes, we have what's called general revelation. That is creation. I open by speaking about that. In a general way, God has revealed Himself, as Romans 1 says, so that His invisible attributes have been revealed, so that people are without excuse. But how does it reveal Him? Primarily, it reveals Him as Creator, worthy of response, worthy of worship, so much so that they're without excuse. They're held accountable for failing to repent simply on the revelation given out there. And Spurgeon said, all places are places of worship to a Christian. We take the temple of God wherever we go. Although, let me hasten to add, parenthetically, seven times to one, the Bible says collectively we are the temple. It says you, in, in Corinthians, it says you individually are the temple of the Holy Spirit, but also says you, the church, are the temple. There is a manifest presence of God when all the parts of the temple come together that we cannot speak of individually. But nevertheless, we are individually, individually the temple of the Holy Spirit, and so we take the temple wherever we go. That's why all places are places of worship, even stocks in a prison like Paul and Silas. But we're never told of Christ in general revelation. That's why you can't worship out there as consistently as you can in the church, because in the church where the Bible is given to us, we have special revelation, which is by a word. Now, the trick question is, what is the Word of God? Well, we have two, right? Both are living and active. One is the incarnate Word, Jesus. In the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God. The Word was God. And we have the inscripturated Word, the Bible. Again, living, active, sharper than any two-edged sword. Jesus said, these words I speak to you are spirit, and they are life. So, remember, it's very important to follow the, the logic here. Wor the only real true worship is that which is, is a response to God. And you're not going to have that response. You, you can't produce it. You can't crank it out. That response is the result of focusing on God. For you see that object, you will reflexively, you will respond. But He's invisible. So what do we do? Well, He has revealed Himself to us. And He has done so in general ways, but He has done so also in specific ways through Jesus. But Jesus has returned to heaven. And so He has given us the Bible. But to illustrate the, the importance of this, suppose that this coming Lord's Day, the Lord Jesus Himself did reveal Himself bodily in your worship service. No one has seen Him in the fullness of His glory. We could not abide it. It would be like being beamed up to the surface of the sun. Uh, you'd just be evaporated. You'd be 
you know, couldn't, couldn't bear it because of His glory and His holiness and our sinfulness. So when He has revealed Himself in these glorious ways, it has always been through a limited revelation of His glory. But even then, what happened? John, the apostle, perhaps the closest friend of Jesus, the one sat next to Him at the Last Supper, the one who, who perhaps slept at His side the closest when they slept on the open ground for three years as they traveled around. Even John, the most intimate of the disciples, when he saw Him in the book of Revelation, just like Ezekiel did, what happened? They fell on their face as a dead man. So suppose Jesus, in similar way, in a limited revelation of His glory, revealed Himself this Sunday in your church, bodily. What do you think would happen? Can you envision people saying, well, my goodness, there's the Lord. I guess I, what I better do is get out of the pew, excuse me here. Oh, and I better, you know, better get out and get down before the Lord here and kneel in front of this pew in front. Oh, these old bones, don't know if I'm going to make it. Is that what's going to happen? No, they would see him and then boom. Reflexively, on their face, it knocked them out on the pew in front of them. Why? Because he is too glorious, that's why. Not the sheer surprise, but the sheer glory. And it's too much for flesh and blood. You focus on this object, you will respond. It's too much, too beautiful, too powerful, too glorious, too immense, too other. But it's very unlikely he's going to reveal himself like that, isn't it, this Sunday? Therefore, if worship is truly a response, a response to focusing on God, and God, the invisible God, must reveal himself, but he's not going to do so bodily, what does that mean? If God is going to be revealed, and you see the necessity of it now all the way through the process, if He's going to be revealed, that's why there must be much of the Scripture in our worship services. is a hard place to stop, but if you'd like to hear the rest of this message from Dr. Don Whitney entitled, The Discipline of Worship, go to our website, biblicalworship.com, and click podcast. Click around to find the show notes for season one, episode seven, and we're happy to share with you the entire thing for free. That is what we have for you this time on the Doxology and Theology podcast. Our show is produced by Evan Jarms, engineered by Mark Norris and Caleb Sherwood, and the music is by our good friends at Murphy DX. Until next time, this is Dr. Matthew Westerholm reminding you that the gospel is so good, it has to be sung. Peace be with you. <laughs>